0: Hey, good morning, friends. We we are living in a strange new world, uh, and and some of what feels like a strange new world may, may not actually be new at all, but nonetheless, it sure feels strange at times. We live in a time and space where our personal freedom and our autonomy has become the central thing in most of our lives, at least most of the time. And the the difference between us all in those really is, is not a difference in kind, it's really maybe just a difference in degree or in object of our affection. But in this time and space, we have found ourselves in a culture where Autonomy with the things we own, with the things, the places we go, with the things that we do or put into our bodies, with the ways in which we purchase. Autonomy has become chief among those issues and those discussion points. And some of this feels really strange and difficult to navigate. And and for most of us, it seems crystal clear to us on the issues. Uh, that we agree with, why would not everybody not agree with my perspective, right? And on the issues that we disagree, we can't fathom a universe where anybody would think such thoughts. Uh, well, the good news is, as I alluded to, this isn't new, and I know you know that. But this has been going on for a long time. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia, which we're going through over the next couple of months. We arrive at chapter 3 today. And we find that this continues to rear its head within the life of the church in Galatia. Now, for a point of just very, very brief context, this letter is widely believed, though we don't know for sure. I want to be really clear about that. Um, but widely to believed to have been written in a pretty tight uh, window of time the Apostle Paul arrives in Galatia and evangelizes that region in kind of give or take 46, 47 AD. Okay, so, you know, somewhere, and I don't do quick math, but you can do the quick math on that, somewhere, you know, kind of 12 or 15 years-ish after the death of Christ, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And this letter is then written after he has been to Galatia, but likely before the events of Acts 15. Hopefully you're tracking with me so far. So so Paul arrives in like 47, 48 AD, evangelizes Galatia, then goes away, and then Acts 15 happens. They, They argue somewhere like 48, 49, and in that span of time is when this letter is believed. Again, believed. Believed, believed. Don't send me emails. Um, Believed to have been written. Why why is any of that important, Stu? Well, here's why it's at least marginally important. Not a whole lot of time has passed. That's the point. Not a whole lot of time has passed. In fact, it may have been mere months which had passed between when Paul and his friends first arrived in Galatia and evangelized that territory on a missionary journey and when he writes this letter to them. Months have passed. We pick up in Galatians chapter three today. Oh, foolish Galatians, exclamation point, he starts. You ever gotten that text message from somebody? Like, okay, okay you have my attention or swipe delete, right? Uh, Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if I had. Had seen it as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Verse 2. Let me ask you this one question. Um, now, for those who've read ahead, liar, liar, pants on fire, he's gonna ask a whole bunch of questions. But he starts with saying, Let me just ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. Exclamation point. You received the Spirit because you believed. The message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, if you're a highlighter or an underliner, highlight, underline that lives in the Spirit. Why are you now trying to come to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you have obeyed the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am so tempted, God, you know my propensity to discount or even simply ignore anything somebody says to me that isn't glowing. And I, and I think that that is not unique to me, God. So God, there are hard words in here. There are hard statements in this text for us today. May we remain open to what your spirit might be whispering to us in all that. And may we depend on nothing less than the power of your spirit to speak your truth to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, Cautionary tales are as old as the beginning or the dawn of time. Uh, Some would call it a cautionary tale, others... Uh, you know, might think of these things as warning stories, if you will. A couple cautionary tales that I know we're probably familiar with, but the the mythology, the the cautionary tale of the Midas touch, right? Midas who uh, wanted everything he touched to turn to gold. I mean, we have whole businesses named after this and you've heard the term I'm sure that or you've you've made the statement about somebody who you know and love but like kind of secretly resent they have the Midas touch you know everything they touch turns to gold um, we love these people we love to have them as our friends um, we hate to compete against them because everything they touch just turns to gold right or, or there's the cautionary tale or the or the warning up killing him. He just can't stop staring at his own beauty, and he starves to death. Maybe the, the cautionary tale or the warning story for those with little kids at home still, you, you know the story so well when you set up your child or your children in a room and you say, I want you to clean up this room or I want you to do this particular thing and then you walk away for five minutes and you come back and the mess is tenfold what it was when you walked away and you, you say some sort of statement, I was only gone for five minutes. I mean, it's like actually talent how sometimes kids can destroy something so quickly. My kids are all getting older in their teens and 20s. But I just recently was walking up my driveway and uh, caught the eye of one of my kids' cars and uh, I immediately became my father, which is not the worst thing one can become. But you know what? The tread on their tires looks really, really low. And I walked over and I put my finger in the tread of the tire. They're driving around on bald tires. Do these kids not understand how important it is to have quality tires on their car? And so then I walked around the car totally indignant and saw that the tires weren't inflated equally. Have they learned nothing at all from me? And I go marching in the house to give said child, not a child, an adult, but give said child a good stern talking to and I walked by my own little pickup and all four tires were different inflation and the two rears are cracking from age. Is this like not illustrative of our own spiritual lives? Paul writes in another letter, I know the things I should do, and yet I don't do them. And the very things I know I shouldn't do, I just keep doing. Something in all of that must give. This idea that I I have complete, or or should at least, have complete control over every decision I make about my life, about my thinking, about even my body, I I should have complete and full autonomy and agency over all of that. And the reality is, when we are given said agency, we generally do ourselves harm. Now, it's not to say that agency should just be given willy-nilly to somebody else and roll the dice, that they'll do better than we did. But there is something going on in the text that is reflective of our world that starts in Greek mythology and runs all the way through that little five-year-old kid that you know you ought not leave alone in that room with Lego and glass in the same zip code, and yet you do, and then it's broken. And part of your irritation as a parent is certainly that the kid broke the glass with the Lego, but more so the reality that you knew better than to leave the glass in there with the Lego. And you're going, why do I do that, right? Paul's caution here, friends, in chapter 3, and certainly throughout this letter to his friends in Galatia, is abrasive to our ears. It's aggressive. It's in your face. And the fear, or at least the danger for you and I, is to say, listen, I do not need one more person telling me what to do. I do what I want, right? But it's rooted in a deep love. And if we can get past our own struggle for power over Paul or our need to not let Paul leave us spiritually unsettled or to make us look foolish, we might be able to see this deep love Paul has for his friends for he's not calling them out with shame for the bad things they've done. He's calling them back to a way of life where it is not what they do that matters, but who they are connected to that matters. And that's the critical difference here. Look back with me at the text. He he says he's going to ask one question, um, and you know I just out of somewhat fun like to say liar liar pants on fire. Because he actually asked seven questions, but I I get that it's one question Roll. Look look at these again. He says, who cast a spell on you? In verse one. Who cast a spell on you? The uh, ESV translation, which I know a few of you um, really like, so I glanced at it this week. He said, who has bewitched you? Anybody old enough to remember that show, Bewitched? I, I mean, that, that that word doesn't have a negative connotation to me because she was just so charming and Bewitched. But bear in mind, Bewitched is not, you know, like a compliment. Um, who has bewitched you? He, he then asks, did you receive the Spirit by obeying Moses? How foolish can you be is his third question. Are you trying to be perfect through effort is question number four. Question number five, have you experienced so much for nothing? As if to say, has it all been a waste? Was it in vain? He goes on to ask. And then finally he says, I'll ask again, are you just trying to obey the law? The leadership team met this week to study this passage and Uh, sadly, I had to miss it. I was out of town enjoying some vacation, but they sent me their notes, which was a a grace to me as I looked this over. Given this influence the Galatian church had on its region in the day and the speed with which they had departed from the gospel of Jesus that Paul had brought them, Paul makes no mistaken nuance here in his language. And our leadership team called that out over and over and over again in their notes. That there, there's just no nuance here in what he's saying. He's going right at them. This is for those for whom the analogy is helpful. This is a fastball down the middle. This is not just a fastball down the middle. This is a, I'm going to throw you a fastball down the middle. Here it comes. highfalutin language here. He's not arguing with deep or complicated logic. He's saying, how in the world, in a matter of mere months, have you drifted back to the old way of life? And just in case you missed it in all of these seven questions, there is one central issue at play that gives me the encouragement that this is not just a smacking around of new friends' Him as the driver, because there's one common thread he keeps coming back to, that he's inviting them back to, not merely saying you've been really bad boys and girls, but saying be who you've been called to be. You see, the Galatians had lost their dependence on the Spirit's leading, and I think it's possible we have to. And when I say I think it's possible that we have to, I, I don't mean the big flowery, big C church, like you know everybody who listens to K-Love and has the YouVersion app on their phone. I, I, I'm not talking, to, I'm talking to us, friends, us in this room who are doing life together. And those who are part of our community of faith who aren't in the room today, but are, are with us. I, I think that the message for the Galatian church is a good one for us to ask. What is my individual dependency on the Spirit's leading to get me through the day? Simply like, again, not this kind of existential life thing. Like if I'm going to make the biggest life decision of my life, am I going to seek the Spirit? Wonderful. That's a great thing. We should do that. Let me me say, I am for that. (laughs) But I'm saying like, I'm walking into coffee with a friend. I know we're probably going to talk about our spouses and our marriage and our jobs and the playoff game. And all that's fine and well and good. But Holy Spirit, is there another direction you'd like this conversation to go? And and would you whisper that to me? Because I just want to be in step with you. This is the the logging onto a meeting or showing up to a job site or attacking a task for work. And before we walk onto the job site or get on that Zoom call or start that task, we say, Holy Spirit, you probably have a way that you would desire these things to be done. Would you give me an attention to how you would have them to be done? Look with me again at the text, verse two. It says, receive the spirit by obeying Moses. This is the common thread, is the spirit. Verse three, after starting your lives in the spirit, again, such key language and a key line for us. Uh, If you're longing for your first ever tattoo, that's not a terrible one. Life in the spirit. To live my life in the spirit. Probably some artistic way to demonstrate that. I don't recommend bicycle handlebars. It'll just get you really snotty comments. Uh, verse 5, God, God gave you the Spirit and miracles, but did he do it because you obeyed the law, he asks. I think uh, not dissimilar to the Galatians, we likely shy away from our insistence on the Spirit's leading because it feels like a breeze floating through a park. How do you capture the breeze? How do you, <laughs> how do you contain it? Or, or, and I don't even mean contain it in the negative, but like, how do I, how do I get that? Like, okay, so I have to sit in this room, and you know, you got to do crisscross applesauce, and you've got to have that music playing, and then you got to be in that mood, and and then you sit and you wait, and it's like I sat there for an hour and I heard nothing. And whatever your attempts have been, and probably most of those attempts have been lovely and heartfelt and and good attempts to hear from the Spirit, but a few times of attempting to hear from the Spirit and then hearing nothing will usually lead us towards our pragmatic tendencies, which is, well, that didn't work. I'm going to do what works. This is why when we take you on spiritual retreats a couple of times a year, I encourage you to spend a couple hours. Brace yourself. A couple hours without your Bible. Because even the scriptures at times can become a crutch that free us from being dependent on the Spirit speaking to us. It's provocative, I know. But there's no rack of Bibles in heaven, friends. There's just God. And what a shame it would be to arrive in heaven to be in the presence of God and not only not be acquainted with it, but maybe find out we don't even like it. Good news is there's another way. There's another way available to us, and it's the only way God ever intended us to know him and walk his way, and this is what Paul is calling them back to. So these phrases that I am prone to say, like, I don't hear God speak, so I'll just live the way of Jesus in lieu of hearing him speak, could easily be the equivalent to what Paul is saying to the Galatians. Listen, guys, so quickly... You have left the centrality of Christ in your life with God and instead settled for just going back to your old ways of trying to do all the right stuff. The problem is there's this kind of vicious cycle. Doing the right stuff is good and right and proper. I'm not suggesting any of us ought just go do wrong stuff. But doing right stuff is never sustainable without the Spirit. And our life with God can turn into this just morbidly frustrating thing where it's the very things I know I should do, I don't do. And the very things I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing. and Ah, forget it. Thankfully, Paul reminds us that receiving the Spirit is not some magical experience that one must wait on in high hopes. You know, like God floating around with this little Tinkerbell wand and you hope you're the one he taps and gives the spirit to. There's entire denominations built around this concept that you must receive a particular way of experiencing the spirit in order to even demonstrate your own salvation. What an abuse. Now again, it's not to say we ought not pursue or deeply desire the Spirit's touch in our lives. Let us not throw baby out with that water. But receiving the Spirit is a gift from God that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Spirit is in you. You don't have to summon Him. I remember thinking as a, as a young follower of Christ, I used to pray this prayer all the time. God, please be with us in these moments. And I had a, a friend pull me aside. He was, a, he was a little bit of a like um, uh, parser of words, which isn't great for a person who processes out loud. Um, those aren't usually safe people because um, they just parse every everywhere. I'm just thinking out loud here, leave me alone. Um, but he would pull me aside and say, you know, you don't actually have to invite God to be here. He's like here. And that was really helpful to me. Like, yeah, and it, it's not to say it's like sinful to invite God to be there. I get the heart behind it is, God, I want to experience your presence in this moment, but let us never forget, God is here. God is with us. It, it's not like, well, I didn't say the prayer right, so God's presence didn't show up. No, it, it was here. It was here. God's presence is here. And that ought to be a peace to us. Then my job is now, job, I mean, I use that term loosely, but my job is not now to, to give Jesus a really good reason to hang out with me by all the good stuff I do. But rather to say, Jesus, I think you're here. Spirit, I think you're here. You're you're on the move. What sort of props could I knock out of my life so I would actually hear you and, and see your movement and recognize your leadership of my life. And this requires training. Like Just about everything in our spiritual life. You see, the Spirit's leadership is powerfully demonstrated in a moment where you supernaturally hear God's voice say to you something. And for some of us, we have those experiences, and those are to be celebrated. Those should never be made little of. But make no mistake. The Spirit's leadership in your life is equally demonstrated when you show self-control in a situation that you ordinarily would not have shown self-control. The Spirit's leadership in your life is equally demonstrated when you have patience for another for whom you never seem to have patience for. And oftentimes, we walk away from those moments, and we think some version of, wow, I was really on my game today. I I did good? That person who drives me bonkers, I was actually present with them. I must have slept good last night. And maybe you did sleep good last night, and sleep is good, and helpful, and right. But have you considered the concept that that's actually the Spirit's leadership? in your life? Like, that's not who I am. I'm not a patient person. And so when patience comes out of me, maybe that is actually the fruit of the Spirit's leadership in my life. And that is to be celebrated. And you go, well, that didn't feel mystical or magical or very supernatural at all, but boy, that's a different response of me than I would have had prior. And in those moments, we call that out, not because we gritted our teeth and we white-knuckled good behavior, but because we look back and say, the Spirit is at work in my life. Spirit, thank you for giving me patience there. That must have been you, because I know that ain't me. Spirit, thank you for giving me self-control. Thank you for giving me love. And joy, and, and I don't want to preach chapter five yet because I've got to do that one in a couple weeks. And I only have so much I can do on five, so. Let me round third base here, friends. I think you get the idea. Paul's rebuke is, uh, you know, obviously loud and clear and that the person of Jesus and the way of Jesus uh, unfolding itself in our lives is to be the cornerstone of our lives. It's not an add-on to the life we've chosen for ourselves, but it is the corner that holds everything up. Not the law. The law doesn't hold up our lives. Not white-knuckling good behavior. That won't hold up our lives in any sustainable way. Those things will not lead us to Jesus. In fact, Flannery O'Connor wrote once that the surest way to miss Jesus is to avoid sin. Now hear me, friends, (laughs) again, parodying Paul's words back to us. Is that to say we should just go on sinning and do whatever the heck we want so that grace will abound? Of course not. But Flannery O'Connor's point there, which I think is a point that's well given to us as people living in a strange new world, is this idea that sometimes in our brokenness is where we meet Jesus most powerfully and where we recognize this part of me is not going to change itself. Holy Spirit, I have to learn how to be attentive to your leadership if this is ever going to change in me. And in that, sometimes sin is our gift. Sometimes. This is a central message to the church then for Paul in Galatia and now for us, but it didn't actually originate with Paul. And I think it's important for us to see the grand arc of this story of the dependence on the Spirit's leadership in the whole story of Yahweh because this starts long before anybody has met Jesus Christ of Nazareth who would arrive in that manger. In Zechariah chapter four, the, the minor prophet Zechariah is having this long vision of God that you can read through. Chapter. Then the angel who had been talking to me returned and woke me, as though I had been asleep. What do you see now? He asked. So this whole idea of asking somebody questions, uh, as Paul is doing for the Galatians, Paul Paul's just. Stealing the playbook from the prophets. So for any of us who are like, ah, Paul's kind of a cantankerous old man who's kind of grumpy. Um, I mean, maybe that's true, but Paul's not originating this stuff. This starts long before. Asks, what do you see now? And it carries on. I answer, I I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top, and around the bowl are seven lamps, each having... Seven spouts and wicks, and I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. And then I asked the angel, What are these, my Lord? What do they mean? And the angel asked, Don't you know? Have you not seen? And that's stew's added, but you get the, the reference. No, my Lord, I replied. And then this beautiful verse in verse six of chapter four of Zechariah, then he said to me, This is what the Lord says. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And spirit is a capital S, and that matters. It is not by might, and it is not by power, but it is by my spirit. And this flies in the face of everything in our strange new world that only knows force and might. And God says that will not be the way I do things. Would you? Would, would, do you want to hear my spirit speak? Well, you're gonna have to abandon force. <laughs> you're gonna have to abandon power. You're gonna have to let those things go because my spirit's gonna work different. My spirit's gonna do things different. Christ as our cornerstone will not happen by sheer force or by strength of will. Rather. It's a result of the Spirit's work. Well, I'm just going to work harder in my marriage. What do you want me to do? I'm just going to do the things you want me to do. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. It's going to make your spouse even more miserable than they already are, and it's going to make you super bitter. I usually give it two weeks, and I'm not trying to be trite there. But by my Spirit, what, what is the Spirit saying? What if in our marital moments, what if one of us said, hey, can I just call a timeout? What? Can we just, what is the Spirit saying to us right now in this relationship? What is the Spirit whispering to us about how we are together? Can you imagine being on a job site or being in a Zoom meeting or working on a task for your occupation and things are not going well and you recognize your internal desire to take over with force? You ever been in a meeting and been like, a little less conversation, a little more action, and you just want to take the meeting over? You know that's not the Spirit, right? But Stu, it works. Oh no, I know. <laughs> I know it works. Like I built a career taking over meetings. Some of you have been the victim of that for which I repent. That's not the way of the Spirit. And not all of our job sites allow us to go, you know what, I'm just gonna time out right here. Uh, hey framers, pause a second. Let's, let's discern what the Spirit's doing together. Can you imagine? Nail guns being thrown at you? Can you imagine doing that on a Zoom call? But what if, what if, friends, we became so attentive to the Spirit's activity in the room that we begin to hear the Spirit whisper what he's up to before the corner is even turned? And we recognize, hey, this is where this meeting's going. Hey, this is where this conversation's going. And we just speak up with a, with a, a, a gentle word of correction to get us back in line with what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit cares about science. The Spirit cares about building homes. The Spirit cares about logistics running well. He's actually speaking to all of that. And if we somehow think we can live our 50 hours of our work week or our child-rearing week free from the Spirit's leadership and then step into the the spiritual things of life and have the Spirit lead us, we are kidding ourselves. We're just kidding ourselves. The way of Jesus is a true and authentic and beautiful way. And it is the best version of any life you will ever live. The life you have, the training you have, the experiences you have lived in your life have brought you to a place that to live the Jesus way from today moving forward will be the most beautiful and authentic and true way of life you could ever live. Bar none, I am not more confident of any one thing on earth than I am that. But we cannot do it. cannot read enough Bible to overcome our lack of cooperation with the Spirit. We cannot pray enough to make our internal voice match the Spirit's voice. There is no amount of K-Love or Daily Bread, or Version, or Life Group, or flannel grams to shape us into the image of Christ, free of the Spirit. All of those things are wonderful and excellent resources and tools and, and ways of living in which we cooperate with the Spirit, but we cannot replace any of those in the equation for the Spirit and think that what we will get is Christ likeness. We actually know what we will get if we input religious activity, which again, religious activity is lovely. But if we input religious activity into our life, free of the Spirit, what we get on the other end is called a Pharisee. It's religion. And it's empty. James says this is empty and impure religion. But if we will start with the Spirit and say, listen, Spirit, I cannot move on this day without your leadership. And I don't always hear your voice, God. God. So how will I know you're leading my life? Well, if I'm operating with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, what did I miss? Gentleness, thank you. I don't have any of that. Stop saying gentle. Right? It's like it plays out in real time. Our, our bodies do the work for us. I mean, even in that moment, our, my body is saying what my soul is screaming. You're not very gentle, so you don't even know how to say the word. It's a gift to us. It's a gift to us. And so, when those things begin to play themselves out in our life, we go, "Oh, the Spirit's me. Oh, I want more of that. I want more of that." Again, let me let me be really clear. I, I'm not. I don't have an axe to grind against Caleb or our Daily Bread or UU version app. I don't think any of you would go delete any of those things on my account anyway, but I want to be really clear. Those are lovely and beautiful, wonderful things. But don't kid yourself into thinking that they will work in lieu of the Spirit's leadership. So what do we do? Uh, l- let me close with just a few minutes, because it, it, for some you've, um, I mentioned earlier, for some you've grown up in a, in a rather charismatic environment, where maybe you have a, a higher level of comfort when we talk about the Spirit, and had a key into the Spirit, and maybe even in your childhood or early 20s, you were given great practices and skills to kind of key in on the, the Lord's voice, and some of you even have rooms in your home where you go and sit to pray, and, and you recognize that space matters. So all of that, I just celebrate and just want to fan that to flame in your life. But others, for some others, this may be fairly new. Let me give you some really practical things that may help any of us, but may help specifically those of you struggling to key in. Uh, First, at at the start of your day, and and as is always my prescription on these spiritual things, do it for two weeks if, if you want to get serious about this, but for two weeks, at the start of your day, look over what's before you on the day ahead, whether your day is driven by meetings or whether your day is driven by projects or tasks or places you have to be, whatever, you get the context, apply it to your context, but look over what's to come in your day and begin to call out for yourself, whether journaling or just mentally, where in the Where in the moments of that day you're going to be tempted to take over by force. (laughs) I mean, any of you, uh, my day's driven by a calendar with you know 10, 11 Zoom calls a day, and I can tell you right now, I can look at the Zoom calls and go, "I know that one. I know that one's going to go. Ain't nothing going to get done if I don't get it done. Right? I'm going to just have to, you know." So, I, I, I suspect it's true for all of us. You can look at your day if you're. If you're a dad or mom at home with the kids that day, you're going to know that the two hours in that day that are, you know, not optimal for joy. Is that the way we're putting it? Yeah, so take inventory and look ahead and know, hey, that's a spot where I'm going to try and take over. That's a spot where I'm going to try and use force to get my way and just rebuke that. Just call it out. I don't want that. I don't want to do that, God. You, the spirit can't lead me if I'm in charge of the room. The Spirit can't lead me if I use power and force in that moment. I know that, so I'm just rebuking my tendency to, okay, you get the drift, right? Number two, uh, before every meeting, every discussion, every project, every decision that you can, pause for five seconds and just say, Spirit, would you lead me? Going to teach a class, going in and do a project, going in and have a conversation with the spouse, Spirit, would you lead me? Spirit, I need your leadership. You're not going to get it perfect. But but what if we just developed this practice of before? Everything that is coming before us, we say, Spirit, lead me. And number three, uh, schedule a coffee or a meal or a meet-up with someone in this room. That's key. If you want to know why it's key, we can talk offline. But in this room, partly because it's really hard to lie to the people in this room because they know you. You know, well, I have my friend who lives three states away that I talk about this stuff with, and I go liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, because like that friend who lives three states away doesn't know you. Like we all know each other. Um so someone in this room, uh, and just tell them, I always want to have a conversation with you about how the spirit's leading you. and we're we're gonna talk about, Playoff football probably, and we'll probably talk about our kids and our spouse and our job. All that's great too, but can we can we meet next week and just have a few minutes of that conversation where we talk about how the Spirit leads one another? We got that intentional about it, right? That intentional. Nobody goes to their athletic trainer and says, so what should we do today? Well, I don't know. What do you think we should do? Well, I don't know. I guess we could throw that medicine ball around. No, you go in with a plan. Today's arm day or leg day or whatever. I don't know. I don't got any of that stuff, as you can tell. just simple practical things, friends, that we could do to lean in to the spiritual leadership. I love you so very much, and I'm so proud and honored to be your friend and to walk this life together. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for, um, thank you for this really tough letter um, that does not always sit real well for any of us. May you use it to uh, speak to us, And may we not be found to be foolish.